0: Trinity Park Church, good morning. It's good for us to gather together again. I'm Joe, and I serve as worship leader, and it's a joy to be together. And I wanna invite you to stand now as we consider our call to worship. I see a number of new faces. We're glad for the the guests and visitors that we have. And maybe for those who may join online as well, we do welcome you uh, to Trinity Park Church today. Our exhortation is from Psalm 57, we're going to read just the first three verses, and it's just a glorious reminder of again what Christ has done. This is what we're going to sing about and proclaim together today. It says this, be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings, I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. Verse 2, I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me, he will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness and I just love the way in this passage we 're reminded that certainly in the midst of our midst of dangers and challenge, we have a God who saves, but I love also how this passage points us to A greater knowledge of a God who has saved us from the depths of our sin, and he has sent from heaven and shown us his steadfast love and his faithfulness through his Son, Jesus Christ, who has died. And so it's in that that we rejoice together in him right now. So would you pray with me for a moment as we sing? Heavenly Father, thank you again for a privilege to gather together. Thank you that your word is true, that you have extended to us great mercy, that you are a God of steadfast love and a God of faithfulness. And I pray, Lord Jesus, in this moment, as we raise our voices to you, would you remind us of the depths of the gospel that we receive? Would you remind us that we are sinners, but we stand before a holy God because of Jesus Christ, who has died for our sins, who now clothes us in his righteousness. And it's in this that we find all of our joy. So help us, Lord, and remind us of your great love for us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So I invite you, let's lift our voices together now as we sing. And can it be that I should gain amazing love? How can it be that thou, my God, should die for me?
1: And can it be that I should gain an interest in the sin?
0: Demonstrated this steadfast love to us. Well,
1: I cast my mind to Calvary. When Jesus bled and died for me, I see his wounds
2: love to bridge from worship into confession because the reason that we can praise the name of the Lord our God is because we don't need to keep any more secrets from him. That we can bring our brokenness and the things that we're ashamed of and the things that we're embarrassed about and the things that we know that we've done wrong and man all the things that we don't even know that we've done wrong and bring them before him and lay them down and stand in his mercy and forgiveness. And so please read with me this corporate confession of faith, and then we'll leave about 30 seconds at the end just to evaluate our own hearts and bring that before God before considering His assurance of pardoning grace as well. So let us confess together. Heavenly Father, You are a covenant-keeping God, but we have forsaken Your law and violated Your statutes. Though You have always been faithful to us, we are unfaithful to You many times each day in our thoughts and in our words we know we deserve to be punished for our sin we have earned the rod of your anger for our mountains of iniquity father because of your steadfast love forgive us we pray thank you jesus who took our place enduring our shame and scorn holy spirit Help us in our great weakness to believe that guilty and vile sinners like ourselves become spotlessly clean in the redeeming blood of Christ. Make us steadfast and faithful to you and your work as we await the return of Jesus. Amen. The gospel of grace is not one that leaves us in our sin but delivers us from it and we're reminded of this from Deuteronomy chapter 7 verse 9 where we are told know therefore that the Lord your God is God the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations and with this in mind with our hearts washed in his love um, let us turn to him again in song. I
0: do invite everyone to stand as we continue to worship God. This is also our offering time, so you're welcome to give either online or there's a basket in the back there if you'd like to um, play something there. We're going to sing an old song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. We pray that we would do this with all our hearts.
1: Turn your eyes upon Jesus
3: continue to turn our eyes on Jesus throughout this whole service and throughout our lives. Praise God for that word. Well, in this moment, uh, if you're a new visitor here this morning, uh, we're grateful that you're here. We have a family moment, kind of a church family moment in the middle of this service, so this may feel a little bit unfamiliar to you, but we're, we're welcoming you into our family this morning as we have the Wilkins come forward, Drew and Lindsay and, and their children. Um, if you're a part of Trinity Park Church, you're aware that The Lord has called Drew and Lindsay on uh, to a new calling. And um, that is, uh, it's amazing the story that Drew's going to share for us about the way that God has provided for them. It's also sad uh, for us and and in many ways that the Lord has called them on. And so I know there's a lot of complicated emotions uh, here this morning, but uh, I hope we can just praise the Lord with the Wilkins for the way that the Lord is leading them uh, very clearly on. Also, some amazing news about an adoption um, of of Isaac. So, Drew's going to share that for us. You can come on up, guys. And then after Drew shares the story uh, with Lindsay and the children there, here with him, uh, there's a few families that that they've asked to come forward and be a part of a time of prayer for them, along with uh, any elders or deacons who are here. Um, We'd love for y'all to come forward. We'll have a time of prayer as a, a time of sending. And then after the service, it'll be time for all of us to greet them and to to say our goodbyes to them although they're not moving very far so I'm sure we'll see them again around here as well. So with that I'll hand it over to Drew.
2: Thank you Corey. Uh, I'm gonna hold this guy the whole time because I managed to bring him without any shoes today so bare feet and blacktop not the greatest combination. So he may contribute from time to time. Um, Man I'm just excited to be able to come and give you guys the update. It's been a wild last couple of months um, and for so many reasons, we've been, uh, as many of you know, waiting to be chosen to adopt a, a child since uh, for, man, a little over a year now. And so uh, back at the end of May, I was driving out to St. Louis for a denomination um, general assembly, it's a 13 hour drive. So I got all the way out there and then I got a phone call from my bride saying that we had been chosen to adopt a baby and I had to turn around and come right back. So I hopped back in the car and drove 13 hours back here, spent the night, um, loaded the kids into the car, drove them up to my parents' house in Annapolis, Maryland, and then flew uh, or then drove up to or flew up or one way or another. I got to uh, Albany, New York, where where our newest little member of the family was waiting for us. And so we've got little Isaac, and we're so excited to have him here with us today. Um, And he's just been a wonderful addition. But during that time, it's amazing how God just weaves things together. Uh, During that time, while I had uh, Lindsay stayed with Ike up in uh, New York, I went back to Maryland to be with the kids while we worked through a number of things. And um, my home church, a church where I had grown up, where uh, my parents had been and grown up in some ways. And a church that my grandparents had actually helped to start uh, was in the process of searching. And so I started some conversations with them and the conversations continued to roll. And so um, on my drive back from St. Louis was my first official interview for this position in Annapolis, Maryland. And uh, the conversations continued to get better. And God just brought all of that together as well. Um, At the same time, uh, Annapolis is a very uh, challenging place to find and buy a home and to live in for a number of reasons, just with the expenses. And a friend has been able to make her home available for us to rent um, as she's moving to Germany for three years and just needed someone to be in her home and has made that available to us. Um, There's been so many things just at each point along the way that have been so wonderfully encouraging, whether that's sometimes some financial help with some things that we've needed, whether that's donations to help um, give the funds that we would need to bring this little guy home, whether that's just randomly calling me up and meeting out of the blue to say, hey, I've been walking with the Lord in ministry for lots of years and he is faithful. And I don't know how, but he will take care of you and you can rest in that, that has been so good for my heart and just so good for my soul. And so we just wanted to be able to thank you guys and update you. It's really only been, what, a week and a half, two weeks that we've been back here from Maryland after getting back with the baby. So it all still feels up in the air. And now our house is uh, filled with boxes and other things. And so we'll need some help even packing up and loading the trucks um, before we roll out. But, man, we wanted to say thank you for all of your help. But we also really wanted to pause and just celebrate and be able to testify to what God has done for us. Uh, Over a year ago, I first started hearing Joe Jackson talk about Psalm 77 and the ways that God's leadership uh, brings us straight to the sea, drawing back on the history of Israel and the Exodus, walking up to the Red Sea and not knowing where to go from that. And it says that your way is through the waters but your footsteps are unseen. And that has brought so much comfort and hope and encouragement. And it's wonderful to be able to stand here saying that after really six months of knowing that my position here, it was time for that to come to an end. And not knowing quite what God had next. And waiting and praying and waiting and praying. And after waiting for over a year for this little one. And not knowing when he was going to come and just waiting and praying and waiting and praying. And then to have both of those things come together so wonderfully, so quickly, even if at the 11th hour, God's goodness has been very deep and his kindness is very real. And the ways that he provides for us has been just wonderful to see come together. And we just wanted to pause and to praise him with you all in the midst of all of that. And so thank you. Thank you for walking with us in this moment. Thank you for your prayers and for your just tangible help as we transition And thank you for walking with us into the next moment as well. We love you, and we really, really appreciate it.
3: So at this time, um, if you are one of those families that's going to come forward, also if you're an officer of the church, you're welcome to come forward as well. We're going to have a time of prayer and sending for uh, Lindsay and Drew and the family as they move to Maryland. They're moving next Weekend. Uh, I think it's on Monday officially that they move, Uh, but we're gonna help them pack up So Andy's gonna give you more information on this. We're gonna help them pack up on Saturday afternoon after our Northwoods Service day. The the Wilkins also need our help. So basically your Saturday, we need you. We need you one time or the other or both uh, to help out at Northwoods or to help with the Wilkins. Well, I will lead us off with a time of prayer. Um, The only way that this is going to work is if you come to the mic and pray. You definitely can pray in your heart. Um, But if you feel comfortable coming to the mic to say a prayer, um, I would encourage you to do that. Lord God, um, we're so grateful for Drew and Lindsay and thankful, just so grateful for the way you provided for them. And and as I've walked with them and I've seen them wrestle with your calling and not knowing how you're going to provide, it is so true that your way is through the sea and your footsteps are unseen. You have carried them along. And, and I personally, and I know we collectively, are just so grateful to see the way that you provided for them. Lord, the way you provided this, this role for Drew that is a, a great fit for him, the way that you provided this in a church where they have history and have uh, context and the way you provided this for them in a place where it's really near to uh, Drew's family, uh, where they can be closer to family as well. Lord, we um, did not know how this would all come to pass, Lord, but in your mind, you always had a plan. And so, God, we're grateful for this. We're grateful for even what we can learn from this as, as people who follow you, that you you have a plan for us even when we can't see what you're doing. But we rejoice with Drew and Lindsay and we pray that you would hear our prayers as we send them off to their new place of calling.
4: Holy Father, we thank you for the Wilkins family, Lord. We thank you for uh, their faithfulness in serving us. Lord, we remember even, um, you know, years back when we first started a process on on calling them to our church we're so grateful for this family and for the um, giftedness that you've provided for them and uh, for Drew and Lindsay and for their children and how what a incredible joy they have been to us and a friendship that they have um, been to all of us here Lord I thank you just for you know, for making their path straight, Lord, for enabling them to transition even to the next call that you have uh, called Drew to become a pastor in this church in Maryland. I thank you for that opportunity, Lord. I thank you for this family. I pray that, Lord, our paths will cross again, Lord. I pray too for opportunities for us to continue to connect to each other. Lord, we thank you because we're able to do this because of Christ, Lord, and I thank you for this, Lord.
5: Lord, it's obvious that we're all on a journey, and it's a journey that you control and guide, and sometimes it mis- it's mysterious uh, why you brought Drew and Lindsay and his fa- their family here and now take them away. It's a mysterious journey. Um, happening to us, but you have said, fear not, for I'm with you, and so we fear not, for you are with Drew and Lindsay and their family, and you are with us as uh, they leave and leave a big hole in our hearts for their joy, the joy that they've brought uh, to us. So bless them, help them to fear not. Help us to fear not, for you are with us in Christ.
6: Lord, we thank you for the time that we've gotten to spend with the Wilkins family, not only just Drew and Lindsay, but their entire family. And thank you for the relationship their kids have had with my kids, Um, the example of just loving each other and uh, loving their community. And I just thank you that they have taught us so much, including to to follow you in a way that is sometimes very hard and sometimes out of control, but that's the point um, that you will provide, that you are in control and uh, it's a hard thing to do. And we're so grateful for the example that you have provided to us to see visually how you provide, how you control and how you take care of us. I thank you so much for them and just opening up our minds to, to see this example. And uh, I just pray that they find so much enjoyment and um, excitement and adventure that they seek in this next, next place you put them in.
7: Father God, on behalf of the youth group, of our church, I thank you. Amen.
8: Father, we're thankful for your faithfulness to Trinity Park and to Drew and Lindsay and their kids it's been a lot of waiting and asking questions over the past year. When will they get the call for a child? Um, Where where will Drew find a job? Where will, when will they come home uh, now that they found a child? When will they be able to come back uh, to their family? And then once he found a job, where where will he live? But Father, you've been faithful to answer all of those questions in your good time and out of your great riches so thank you that you have provided for trinity park by bringing drew and Lindsay into our lives and thank you that you are continuing to provide for the wilkins as they move on to what you're calling them to so we asked especially that you would bless them during this time of transition uh, that they would Find a way to celebrate every day, even among packing boxes and taping them up and long drives and uncomfortable moving trucks um, and then sailing into a new place. I pray that they would be able to celebrate your provision every day, wherever they are. And we are so thankful for what you have done for them and through them here and where they're going.
9: Father God, I want to thank you for what many in the congregation, even if they weren't part of the youth group, learned about your faithfulness. Those people that weren't necessarily close to Drew and Lindsay, man's wisdom said that you don't let go of a family from a salaried job during a hard time. But Drew and Lindsay stood, sat, appeared in those Zoom meetings saying, This is where we are walking out and they relied on your wisdom, but all of man's wisdom said no. So I thank you, Father, that we got to be part of the whole story, the praying for them and then seeing this and even seeing their joy, bittersweet as it is, that we got to see your faithfulness simply because we cared enough to pray and be hurt and struggle in our prayers to see your wisdom over our own man's wisdom. And so I thank you for Drew and Lindsay for leading us in that. And I pray father that in their next iteration of their youth leadership journey and their friendship journey up in Annapolis, father, I pray that they would continue that faithful walk with you and that they would hear your voice and that they could carry away your wisdom that is so far above man's wisdom.
3: Lord, we we do uh, just celebrate what you're doing um, in the life of Drew and Lindsay, and we also struggle uh, to understand as Claire prayed as well. But Lord, we submit ourselves to you and we just pray for them. We pray great blessings on them. I pray that you would use Drew and Lindsay mightily for your name and your glory and your renown in Annapolis and beyond. And I pray that for us here who have a hole with them leaving as they've made a a great impact on the lives of our youth and on the lives of many uh, others in this congregation as well. I pray that we would know that these words you've spoken to us through Drew from the pulpit and spoken to our children and youth group uh, are not in vain, they will not uh, return void, but you're going to accomplish your purposes um, through your word in our lives, Lord, so we, we do entrust the Wilkins family to you and just continue to pray your oversight and care over them every step of the way, and we rejoice with them in the adoption of Ike as well. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.
4: good morning as we um, I don't know how you transition from that to what I'm about to say because <laughs> it's totally anticlimactic but um, well, I'm gonna do it you know one of the things that uh, for us at Trinity Park that we've been praying and thinking a lot about as we uh, came into this building too is you know how are we going to to make our presence known in this community and how are we gonna serve the people in this community And so there have been many iterations and many conversations that we've been having with different people, different organizations, and things like that. And so, you know, one of the things that we, as a church, that we've been thinking a lot is, you know, we want to plan roots in where we are in this place. We want to make our presence known among people. We want to be good neighbors to the people around us. And so I want to, I'm pleased to announce that next week, next Saturday on um, August the 14th, uh, we have an opportunity as a church to come alongside Northwoods Elementary, which is probably about a mile and a half from here, to serve with them, to help them in their beautification Saturday, beautification day, where you know we'll come together to join their staff and to join some of the parents in basically just cleaning the school in uh, you know, simple things like pulling weeds, uh, perhaps, you know, removing branches, uh, helping with loading some picnic tables and things like that. So this is tangible. these are tangible opportunities for us to come together as a church, to serve with these folks and to get to know them. And so I want to invite you to join me from uh, eight to 11 a.m. next Saturday at Northwoods Elementary. If you want to know how to get there or you're not sure about the time and things like that, please come talk to me. I've also, uh, I think there's also been an email being sent out to RSVP. We need definitely help. And here's the thing too, this is an opportunity where regardless of your age, you know, whether you're old or young, you know, boys or girls, you know, you can all come together as a family to serve in this area. If you have kids who are interested in uh, pulling weeds, you know, and simple gardening and things like that, there's a great opportunity for you to do this as a family, to come together to do so. So please, uh, I would uh, encourage you to sign up, and, uh, or if you have any questions, come talk to me. And then, secondly, there's also an opportunity after that for more work. Um, you know, as mentioned, Drew and Lindsay will be moving uh, soon. And so next Saturday, at 2 to 4 p.m., there's an opportunity for us to come together as well to uh, help Drew and Lindsay load up furnitures and things like that into their container, right, Drew? That's right, <laughs> okay. So uh, from 2 to 4 p.m. next Saturday, uh, I don't know why both things are happening on the same date, you know, only the Lord knows, but but that's what it has been planned. So I wanna encourage you to come as well to serve Uh, From 2 to 4 p.m., if you're interested to help Drew and Lindsey, please contact Zach Johnson. Zach is seated over there with his hands raised up, so talk to him. Uh, He'll be more than happy to to fill in with more details. So, again, if you have any questions about these two events, come talk to me or come talk to Zach. Um, Yeah, thank you.
0: Brothers and sisters, I hope we've had opportunities to be motivated by these extended moments to pray um, and to see the way that God provides and answers prayer. So I invite you now, just in your seats, just to bow your heads as we pray together again. I'm gonna pray through the opening verses of Psalm 91. It begins this way, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest and abide in the shadow of the Almighty. Heavenly Father, we do come to you today and. We come with songs of worship and with tongues and hearts of gratitude. We extol you as the God who is most high and we praise you as the God who reigns over the earth and reigns over every aspect of our lives. God, you're mighty in power and we rejoice that you invite us to dwell within your shelter. We experience your holy loving arms and we do pray that we would be keenly aware that you are the God who is with us and that you alone are the one who provides the shelter and the covering that we need in every single situation of our lives. And I do pray, Lord, that when we forget that you are God, when we forget that you are the God who draws near to your people, I pray, Lord, that you would remind us of your presence and remind us of the gospel that declares that you have already given us ultimate rest in Jesus Christ. Verse 2, I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Lord, you are our refuge, and when chaos surrounds, you are our hope, our comfort, and consolation. And so, Lord, we pray that you would teach us even more to trust you now. So we pray, Lord, that... Lord, I do pray that you would teach us to trust you. I pray that we would trust you as singles. For those who are called into singlehood, we do ask that you would grant both contentment and confidence. We pray that you would provide many moments of joyful, uninhibited worship before you. And we pray to trust you as parents. We pray that you would grant wisdom and patience as we really listen and talk to our children. We pray, Lord, that you would show us how to instruct our children as we trust you to keep and preserve them. Lord, I ask that you would teach us as parents to cast our cares upon you as we parent. And I pray, Lord, that we would trust you as children. I pray that you would grant the children of this church a deep and abiding love for you and a love for your word. Lord, I pray that the children of Trinity Park Church would have courage and wisdom to live for you as they interact both with classmates and friends. I pray that they would entrust grow each day as they filter their thoughts and their actions through the lens of the gospel. And we do pray now that even the influence of technology and peers would never drown out the surpassing worth of Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray to trust you also as husbands and wives. We ask, God, that you would sit at the center of every single marriage at Trinity Park Church. We pray that you would multiply those moments of repentance and forgiveness and humility. I pray in particular for marriages that are facing significant tension and brokenness. We pray, God, that you would move in power and perform the work of restoring and reconciling couples to you and to one another. Verse 3, for he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. We ask, God, that you would deliver us from the traps that seem to be set before us. We do pray for protection from the continued devastation of COVID-19. We pray for deliverance from the stumbling blocks that cause us to quarrel and fight with one another. We do pray for deliverance from prideful and obstinate ways all of the ways that we can be unwilling to apply the gospel in every way in our lives. We even ask that even in danger and hardship that you would go before us and that you would deliver us in due time. And Lord, we also rejoice as the God who delivers for the tangible and quantifiable ways that you have already answered prayers of deliverance. We glorify you for the ways that you continue to uphold Aaron Perkins. We do rejoice that you have sustained her through her treatments and have safely brought her home after surgery this week. We ask God that you will continue to turn her wild lament into whirling dancing. We pray for her continued healing, for favorable pathology reports, and that she would continue to burst with song as she declares to herself and to her family that God is good and His loving kindness and faithfulness endure forever. Lord, we ask that you would sustain Aaron and Dan and Lily and Noah as they entrust themselves to a faithful God who promises to be with us no matter what. Lord, we lift up Emmy's colleague, Diane, heal her, Lord, and help her to be steadfast. Surround her family and colleagues with more reminders of how you are powerful to deliver and powerful to save. And then finally, in verse 4, he will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. So God, we pray to experience the great comfort of being covered under your wing. You are the God of all comfort. And we pray especially for those who find themselves in the midst of a season of transition. Lord, thank you for this amazing testimony that we heard today of the glorious works that you have done in the Wilkins family. We pray that you would bless Drew and Lindsay's ministry and that many would experience greater knowledge of Jesus Christ because of their family's influence. Lord, would you hide Anna and Cade, Storey, Breck, Mara, and Ike in the refuge of your wing. Continue to cover Ike as he navigates challenges with his heart. Grow him into a mighty man of God who points others to Jesus. We pray, Lord, that you would provide a shelter of protection around Stephen and Jen Wiley as they begin anew in their union as husband and wife. Grant them grace and protect them in this early season of life as one. God, we declare to you that you, Lord, are our refuge and you, Lord, are our strength. We come this morning as dependent beings, desperately needing you to cover us and hide us under your wing. Teach us to trust you, O God, as you continually supply every one of our needs. For he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. God be praised. Amen.
7: The reading today is taken from Acts 28. After we we were brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Malta. The native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all, because it had begun to rain and was cold. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. Now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island, named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery, and Paul visited him and prayed, and putting his hands on him, healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also honoured us greatly, and when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. After three months, we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria, with the twin gods as a figurehead. Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days, and from there we made a circuit and arrived at Regium. And after one day, a south wind sprang up, And on the second day, we came to Puteoli. There we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days. And so we came to Rome and the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the forum of Appius and three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. And when he came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews and when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar we know that everywhere it is spoken against. When they had appointed a day for him they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening he expounded to them testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear but never understand, you will indeed see but never perceive, for this people's heart has grown dull and with their ears they can barely hear and with their eyes they have closed lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn and i would heal them therefore let it be known to you that this salvation of god has been sent to the gentiles they will listen he lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him proclaiming the kingdom of god and teaching about the lord jesus christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Thanks be to the word of God.
3: Thank you, Liz. Well, as we gather today on uh, this last Sunday, as we're going through the book of Acts, we've been journeying through this series for the last Six or seven months, as we've gathered in three different parking lots, we've gathered on Saturdays and Sundays, different times of day, different places to meet indoors during the snow. We have trains uh, that pass us by. Um, you know, it it makes me ask the question: How essential is the gospel of grace? I mean, is the gospel of grace is it important news is it encouraging news is it good news yeah it's all of those things but it is also essential news it's essential the gospel is essential that's why we do what we do that's why we gather in parking lots that's why persecuted people gather around the world in basements in rented apartments hidden from the government's eye under trees out in the country where no one knows where they are this is why we gather How essential is the gospel as Joe prayed? How essential is the gospel in your own particular areas of your life? In your marriage, how essential is the gospel? Is it one of the many places that you turn for hope and fulfillment? Or is it the only place you turn for hope and fulfillment? What about for parenting? If the gospel wasn't true, how would you parent differently? But because the gospel is true and we have this hope, of God being at work and being for our children and redeeming our children, we parent believing that there is a redemptive story that is unfolding, not just for us as parents, but also for our children. How different does it make it that the gospel is essential for the way that we live out our lives, as we see Drew and Lindsay following the Lord's call, believing that God just isn't out there transcendent and detached, but he is intimately and eminently involved in every aspect of our lives. As we've walked through the book of Acts, we've seen the apostles journey and carry the gospel forward. The Great Commission was given to them in Matthew 28. The Great Commission was to bring Jesus into their place. Jesus came into our place in this world incarnationally. And so the Great Commission is that we would then take the gospel of grace wherever we are and bring Jesus into our place. The whole unfolding of the story of Acts is from Jerusalem to Judea, to Samaria, to the ends of the earth, Acts 1.8. And now we reach the end, the climax, Acts 28.31, where we realize that Paul is in the center of the Roman world, in the center of the ends of the earth, and he is boldly proclaiming the gospel of grace without hindrance. And so we're seeing the fulfillment of Acts 1.8, of Matthew 28, the Great Commission, The theme of the book of Acts, we're seeing this uh, in some form fulfilled by the end of the book. The Great Commission, why did the apostles go through this? You know, why why was James killed with the sword? We've seen that happen already in this book. Why was Peter ultimately hung upside down? Why is Paul ultimately beheaded under Nero? It's not because the gospel is just good news. It's not just because the gospel is important news. It's not just because the gospel is encouraging news. It's because the gospel is essential news. If you, use, if you lose the essential nature of the gospel, then everything falls apart in Christianity. You can't make sense of the Bible. You can't make sense of evangelism. What difference does it make if you share the gospel with your neighbor if there's more than one essential news out there for them to believe? Why would you engage in global missions? Why would you give your life for Christ if it's not essential news. And so today we see the essential nature of the gospel of grace. It's not just inspiring or helpful, it is essential. And it's essential for every person. We have to ask ourselves the question, is there any other gospel? Is there any other gospel for any other people in this world? Is there another corner of the world or another culture in the world where they have a truth and a grace that can save them from their sin. Is there any other Savior besides Jesus Christ? If the answer is yes, then then nothing makes sense about Christianity. Why in the world would you stake your life on Jesus Christ? If there's other good news out there to be found, he's just one of many. But if we believe he is the one true God, If we believe he is the one Savior and the one Lord, then we see the apostles reaching out. And we have to understand that from Acts 1 to Acts 28, the trajectory of this book, you know, Acts 28, 31, it's like like an ending without a conclusion. It doesn't really, the book doesn't really end, and it's because we then carry the gospel to the ends of the earth. If the apostles don't carry the gospel from Jerusalem to Rome, chances are we today would have never heard the gospel. You may have received the gospel in a congregation like ours. You may have received the gospel in England or Korea or China or Thailand in some other country, maybe in Canada, maybe in the United States, but you would have never received the gospel if the apostles hadn't believed in the early believers that the gospel was essential news. And so they carry it out to the ends of the earth. And so in this passage, in this final Final chapter, we see, first of all, the gospel going to uh, what I'll call the barbarians. That's what I'll I'll explain in just a minute. The barbarians to the Romans and to the ends of the earth. So first of all, the gospel goes to the barbarians. So Paul here, we noted in the last chapter that he knew how to handle himself on a ship. He, He didn't just know how to handle his theology or his teaching. He was also a practical man. And so he knew how to handle himself on a ship, and the same thing carries through. He's practically getting involved, and they're greeted by the locals after they reach Malta. And I call them barbarians in this section because, based on the Greek, this, is, this word islanders is the same word for barbarians. It connotes a primitive and uneducated people. And so Paul, being the practical man, it's, it's the winter, it's November on the Mediterranean, it's cold. The first thing you do is you build a fire. And so while gathering firewood, Paul, as he's bringing in his bundle of wood, is presumably unknowingly, he picks up this viper, and he's bitten by it. It's a very poisonous snake. And judging the reaction by the locals, they believe it's just a matter of time before he drops dead. But Paul is protected again. I find it really interesting what Paul does here, is he doesn't call everybody in for a time of prayer, and they don't have like this incantation of scripture that's going on, which would be it's totally fine to pray, obviously. And to, to quote scripture, but he just, he just goes on. He just keeps on going on with faith, knowing, in his case, he'd been promised he was going to get to Rome. He just survived a shipwreck. And he knew that God was going to sustain him. And so he just keeps on working, keeps on building the fire, trust God. And we see faith and boldness in Paul. But we see here also the fickleness of the Maltese people. So they shift from believing Paul is damned by fate, because he's been bitten by the snake, to actually believing that he is a God. We've seen this before in uneducated, uh, more barbaric people, that what they do is they have a mix of fate and natural events and their perception of how those things come together and they're constantly piecing together what's true about God. We saw this in Lystra where earlier on, they believed he was a God and then it was the reverse. They were convinced by someone else that he wasn't a God and they wanted to stone them for being blasphemers Well, here it's the reverse. First of all, they believe he's gonna die and he's damned by fate, and now they want to worship him as a deity. And what we see here are people that just don't have a a theology. They don't have a structure. They're just putting together natural events as they come about, and they're building their view of God in the moment on those events. Now, you may say this is a 2,000-year-ago struggle. This is something that's not really relevant today. But in our day and age, uh, particularly with New Age and Eastern mysticism, but that's all bled over, in fact, into the church. In fact, I grew up in a religious community where the, the nature of God and the character of God was not set according to Scripture. It was very much something that we put together based on how we feel and what we see God doing. And it's a mix of what God says about himself and, and our own understanding of how all of these natural events fit together. And what you end up with is a God without without real solid character. He's a God who you sort of make for yourself based on your own perception of what is going on. And let me tell you, that's a, tough way. that's a tough way to live. It's not the way we were designed to live. There's no foundation. We need to trust who God has revealed himself to be to us in Christ and in the scriptures. So Paul ministers to the Maltese people that winter. The gospel gains ground through this display of power. And God often does this with people who are more superstitious. Is, is sometimes He's gracious enough to give them a miracle, to give them something powerful that will that will pique their interest in Christianity. But there's no doubt. And then then Paul goes on and he heals uh, he heals the, uh, the father of Pubulus, the chief official of the island, and he sets up a healing ministry on the island, which is which is amazing. But the Lord uses and there's no doubt that as Paul is healing people physically. He's also interested that they hear the gospel according to the scriptures, that God didn't just come to ultimately one day make us new in our bodies, but he came to make us new in our hearts and in our souls through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so he, he reaches out to these less educated, these more primitive people with the gospel, first through displays of power, but followed up by gospel proclamation. And so we see how Paul ministers here. And I think it's also important to notice that Paul didn't see this, this time on Malta as a diversion from, his, from God's plan, but he saw it as part of God's plan. I mean, it would have been very easy to think, I'm almost to Rome. I know that's what I'm really here for, so what am I going to do? I'm just going to pull away and pray. I'm going to pull away and get ready. Like, What kind of sermons am I going to preach to the Romans when I get there? But I find it really instructive that Paul, wherever God puts him, whatever place he finds himself in, whether it's an island with primitive people or in the center of the Roman kingdom, Paul is always seeking to ask the question, God, how can I redeem the time that you give me where I am right now in this place that I am in life? And so then he, he takes the gospel first to the barbarians, then he takes it to the Romans, and we find this, in verses 11 through 31. So Paul travels to Italy and then eventually to Rome. This is the last leg of his journey. He started in Caesarea, which is no doubt about a four month journey, could have taken five or six. And then he gets to Sicily and then South Italy and then Naples, then ultimately he gets to Rome. So he's greeted there by Christians from Rome. So these folks are already the recipients of his letter to Rome, which we call Romans, uh, years before they received that letter in AD 57. And in chapter 1, I've been studying this a little bit in my own personal time with the Lord lately through the book of Romans. In chapter 1 Paul says, I long to visit you. It is my, my dream and my goal to get to you, to Rome, and I've wanted to do it for so long. And so Paul is very fulfilled by arriving there. There's already a thriving church in Rome, um, I had an opportunity to visit uh, one of the places where the church met when I was able to go to Rome on my sabbatical two years ago. And they gathered, one of these places I went was about three blocks from the Colosseum where they, they were killing Christians. They were gathering multiple layers under the earth in what we now see as catacombs. Uh, they were gathered there not far from the Colosseum, boldly praising God together. So Paul has his accommodations. Once in Rome, he was allowed to live by himself in his own rented home. We're not sure where the money came from, but he was able to rent it. There was a soldier to guard him. it was always with him, chained to him by the hand. And this was a near ideal ideal scenario for Paul, where he has the freedom to receive guests at his leisure. Uh, He cannot go out, so it wasn't perfect. (laughs) But uh, it was an ideal scenario for him with the perspective that he had to share the gospel. So his ministry in Rome and in the church abroad, so it was here that he wrote what we call the prison letters. Ephesians, which is our next sermon series, starting in September. Philippians, Colossians, Philemon. These letters contain, not surprisingly, some of Paul's best excerpts on the the transcending joy that we experience in times of suffering. And also these letters contain some of the most clear Pauline theology on the kingdom of God. You've got to realize as Paul is there with his pen in hand, chained to a Roman guard, and he's looking out in the center of Rome, the center of worldly power, the kingdom of Rome, he is contemplating the vast difference between the kingdom of God, ruled by our Lord Jesus Christ, and the kingdom of Nero, ruled by fear and hatred. And so when we suffer for the gospel, how do we put this together? When we suffer for the gospel and we we gain a theology of the kingdom of God in that moment, we can learn to say, thy will be done. Thy will be done. That's what Paul had learned to say. Not my will be done. This was not Paul's will. Paul didn't want to be chained. I mean, God had transformed his heart to where he did want to now, suffer for the gospel. But now he's learned to say, thy will be done, Lord, instead of my will be done. You know, a lot of us have a Frank Sinatra uh, version of Christianity going on. You know, I did it my way. We want to do it my way and follow Jesus's way. But that, that way doesn't work. And so God calls us to learn how to say, thy will be done as we're walking through hard times, as we see Jesus in his way of the cross and the resurrection. So then we get to his ministry in Rome to the Jews. So as is his custom, he begins by pursuing the Jews there. And he first explains his personal situation in verse 17. He wants them to know, I've done nothing against the Jews or against Judaic customs. He said I haven't done anything against the Jews. Here he is. They hadn't received news about him, which is kind of surprising. So he had a chance to tell them about himself. He says, I am an exemplary Jew. He says, Verse 18, the Gentiles examined and released me. They have nothing against me. He said, I'm also an exemplary Roman citizen. And he wants them to know, I have nothing against the Jews. I only appealed to Caesar when I realized that the Jews couldn't give me a fair trial. And he wants them to understand that Jesus is the Messiah. So he starts explaining his theology to them, according to the Old Testament. And he explains to them that the kingdom of God— is fulfilled in Jesus Christ, that he is the long-expected king. And his reign is even more solid and lasting than Nero's kingdom. And then he tells them in verse 23 that the historical Jesus is the biblical Christ. He's the one that they've been waiting on. But then in verses 25 through 27, the Jews respond, most of them do not receive his words. Most of them reject him. And so he leaves them with this emphatic, Isaiahic declaration telling them that they've rejected their Messiah, they have not had eyes to hear and see him, and so God has sent him to the Gentiles. So Paul usually starts with the Jews, and then he gets to the Gentiles. Then he ministers to the Gentiles in verse 28. He tells them that Jesus isn't just the hope of Israel, he's the hope of the whole world. There's one gospel for all men, both Jew and Gentile. You know, during this year, the elders have have wrestled together with, in the midst of COVID, in the midst of, of, of worshiping in all these different places, in the midst of all that's going on in this culture moment, what are some things that we want to make sure that we hold on to as a church? And we had an email interchange elders where one elder wrote, he said that the verse that really has stuck out to me more than any other verse this year is Romans 1.16, which Paul had written to these people three years earlier before he got there in AD 57. And right after he said, I long to meet you, in verse 16, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. And we had this beautiful discussion as elders about how we want to be a church where the gospel is for everyone. Everyone. Every tongue, every tribe, every nation, every socioeconomic class, whether you're less educated or more educated, whatever your background is, whatever your story is, can we be a church where the gospel of grace is preached, but not just to some people, but to everybody, to everyone? And we've seen in our cultural moment just how challenging that is, just how divisive this moment is, just how people want to split We want to split apart from each other based on things that aren't the gospel of grace. We want to hold on to the gospel for all people. And that's the gospel that Paul is preaching to the Roman Gentiles. He says he's not just the hope of Israel, but for the world in verse 28. And he says in verse 28, the Gentiles will listen. God has given them grace to to hear. So it says for two whole years, he rented his own house. And he invited in, and says in Philippians 1, 1, that the whole palace guard heard the good news of Jesus. It says Paul welcomed all who came to see him. All. The implication is Jews, religious insiders who really don't get it, more traditional people, who really want to hold on to old traditions and cultures, he invites them in and says, I want you to hear the gospel of grace. And then people who are new to religion, new to the Old Testament, he says, I want you to come in here too. I want you to hear the gospel of grace. And for two whole years, day and night, day after day, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for the salvation of all who believe. And so this is my ministry. Listen, at Trinity Park, this is not a unique ministry strategy, okay? This should not make our church unique. If it does, that's extremely sad, okay? Because all we really are seeking to do here in a nutshell is to preach the gospel, Romans 1.16. One gospel, one essential gospel, because it's essential. It's essential for every culture and every corner, every person of this world. And that is what we want to hold on to above all, because the gospel is essential for all. So we have the gospel for the barbarians, we have the gospel for the Romans, and we have the gospel to the ends of the earth. And We find this in Acts 28, 31. It is an ending without a conclusion, where it says, Paul boldly, in an unhindered way, preached the kingdom of God. He boldly, he kept on talking about Jesus in the face of opposition, knowing one day very well it would probably get him killed. He did it without hindrance. The fact that he's in the center of the Roman Empire, preaching the gospel boldly is a fulfillment of Acts 1 8. And he preached the kingdom of God. Here he is, sitting there with an earshot of Nero. And what is he talking about more than anything else? He's saying Jesus is the true curios, Greek for Lord. That's what Nero called himself. And he saw Nero and he said, I'm sorry. Nero is not the true Lord, and you need the good news of the gospel. This man is not your Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. He taught about the Lord Jesus Christ, and Paul then teaches them to to no doubt carry the gospel to the ends of the earth. There's not a proper ending. Luke is a phenomenal author, and so he would have done this intentionally. Unless he wanted to end his book this way, he wouldn't have ended his book this way. But why does he end? Why does he have an ending without a conclusion? The implication is that the story's not over. That the acts of the apostles now become the acts of the church. And that we are called, we are now entrusted to bring the kingdom of God forward wherever we find ourselves into our place. So Paul actually ministers after Acts 28. He's released from house arrest in 63. He travels for four years between 63 and 67. During this time, he writes First and 2 Timothy and Titus. He may have traveled to Greece. He may have even somehow gotten to Spain. We don't know. That's what he wanted to do, according to Romans fifteen twenty. But by that time, Nero's reign of terror had begun. He had begun sending the Christians into the Colosseum. And first it was Peter upside down being crucified because he wouldn't be killed like Jesus. And then it was Paul who, history tells us, was beheaded. We have no reason to doubt that Paul eventually made it before Nero and actually got to give his gospel account. And who knows why Nero killed him. Maybe even in Nero's presence, he talked about Jesus as Lord, as the true Lord, as the true Christ. But at any rate, Nero had him killed in 67. Why were Paul and Peter and the others so willing to undergo this kind of suffering? It's because as John and Peter put it in Acts 4:12 there is only one name under heaven whereby men and women must be saved. There's one. There's one name alone. And if that's the case, if the gospel is essential because there's one true Lord and true King, then they were willing to take it forward. Listen friends, for us today in our schools, in our workplaces, in our lives, in our cul-de-sacs, in our communities? Will we take the gospel forward? Will we take the gospel to the ends of the earth as we have been entrusted? I think for me, as I reflect in my own heart, I am more bold for Christ when I am more sure of his love and his grace and his forgiveness for me personally. I am compelled outward in mission when I believe and understand in, in a very real and experiential way, that Jesus Christ died for me, and he died for my sins. Paul was confronted with the grace of Jesus Christ on the road of Damascus. Without that, that beautiful moment where the overwhelming power and love of God came on Paul, he would have never found himself in Rome. And for us, my encouragement to you would be, listen, I know that every time I'm speaking, I'm speaking to a lot of people maybe everyone, we have a broken heart. There's something going on in our lives right now that is difficult to reconcile with the grace of God. And yet Jesus's grace for you is real. And so I pray you would experience his grace. And as you experience his grace, that you would realize this isn't just the grace that you need. It's the grace that everyone needs. You might spend time thinking about the fact that there are many people who when they get to that point in life with a broken heart, they just don't have any answers. They just turn, they turn to alcohol, they turn to abuse. They turn to workaholism, they turn elsewhere, they turn to entertainment. And we can see little manifestations of ourselves in that as well. Lord, we need you, we need your grace in our lives. And as we experience the grace of the gospel, we then can be compelled outward. I just want to end by talking about the last century's progress and the extension of God's kingdom and the continued fulfillment of Acts 28:31, You know, China now has over a hundred million Christians. In 1949, there was one million, but that's only 7% of the Chinese population. And so there's a real opportunity for the extension of the gospel among the Chinese. In India, the persecution is going up, as, as Modi and the nationalism that has taken hold, a lot of America has also taken hold around the world. Nationalism, Hindu nationalism is sweeping India, but yet Christians are undeterred and they continue to preach the gospel. Through church planting, the gospel is growing. In Uganda, Nigeria, in the year 2000, there were 25 million Anglicans, Episcopalians, and Methodists, 10 times the number of Episcopalians, Anglicans, and Methodists that were in the United States. 10 times. In fact, the Methodist Church is now reorganizing itself as they're struggling, and there's going to be a group that's coming out called the Global Methodist Church because they're going to start looking to Africa for its leadership instead of the United States, which sounds like a smart move. In our moment, we are seeing God move in North Africa and Middle East in the ways that even I, 10 or 20 years ago, would have never, ever seen coming in my lifetime. But we're seeing movements in places like South Sudan— where organizations are there and they're seeing such rapid response to the gospel and then from that, a movement to the mission field where people are coming to Christ and then being sent out across borders that they don't even know what to do. They don't have any models for that kind of ministry. How quickly can they train people <laughs> to be missionaries? That's the question that they're asking. So through radio new apps being developed, movies, websites, social media. And yes, of course, through people taking the gospel cross-culturally, we're seeing the gospel advance around the world. We have a gospel that by its nature will advance because Jesus cares about the world. Here's an update on some progress of the gospel around the world. I was looking at the Joshua Project this week. They note that there are 17,000 409 people groups in the world, but 7,402 are still unreached, which means that less than 0.2% of the people believe in Jesus. That's 42% of the nations in the world that have no opportunity today to hear the gospel. Interestingly, the global population right now is 7.84 billion, and 3.27 billion are unreached, which also is 42% of the global population. So you can keep that number in your head, 42%. 42% of the human beings created in the image of God do not know or have access to anyone who knows Jesus Christ. So we know what the future will look like. We know that Reven, Revelation 7, 9 is the fulfillment of Acts twenty eight thirty one. I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. We know that people from every tongue, tribe, language, and people will gather around the throne. But now we live in an in-between time. We live in between Acts twenty thirty-one and Revelation 7, 9, and 10. So what do we do here In Cary, North Carolina. Well, if we believe that there is one God, one essential gospel, one Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, then we must proclaim the gospel in our church. Why do we do this? Honestly, I've asked myself this question this year if you haven't, if you hadn't guessed. Why do we keep doing this? Why do we keep moving around? What's the point? What's the big point? The point is that Jesus is worthy. He's worthy. He's, he's it. He's essential. That's why we do this. What's this building about? It's for the proclamation of the gospel. I know it costs a lot of money for us to somehow get into this space, but it's so that Jesus will be proclaimed to the ends of the earth, starting right here in Morrisville, in Cary, in the Triangle area of North Carolina. Where would you be if that person hadn't shared the gospel with you? Where would you be if generations ago somebody hadn't crossed cultures to get the gospel into your place? I'll get a little more personal. You know, as we raise children here at Trinity Park, one of my hopes is that we will be a church that will send some of our children, really will send all of our children out into the world, to the ends of the earth with the gospel whether that is to the Research Triangle Park with the gospel, or it is crossing boundaries. It is crossing cultural boundaries. But before we get concerned about Baghdad or Tashkent or Shanghai, we need to be concerned about this place, this community. You know, we have an amazing opportunity here in Cary and in the Triangle because the Lord is bringing people to us. There's some commentary in our culture right now that we should be worried about our, our country becoming more of a majority-minority country. I just want to say that is not a gospel perspective. The gospel perspective is what an unbelievable joy and blessing it is that we would be seen fit, that God would bring people from around the world and around the country to this place for us in our time, that we don't have to fly and cross cultures. All you need to do is cross your apartment community or your cul de sac to share the gospel. We have such a strategic opportunity here. We have an opportunity to raise our children to see missions not as an optional add on, like one of those weird looking houses that they had a bad contractor and added on something later, but to see the mission of the church as integral to the church and normal to the mission of the kingdom. Of God. God may call you to go before kings like Paul, but he's definitely calling you to cross your cul-de-sac. So I want you, as we leave today, as we leave Acts, I want you to think of one thing, one area of obedience that the Lord is calling you to. It could be as simple as just praying faithfully for your neighbor. Do you have a neighbor who doesn't know Christ that is dear to you? I hope you do, and I hope you can start by praying for them. Perhaps you're realizing that, how much do my children really understand the essential nature of the mission of the church? Is there a way that you can help them understand that the trajectory of the gospel is to advance around the world? Acts itself is a continuous story of a cross-cultural expression of the gospel, and I pray it would be for our children. And maybe he's calling you to be bold, to have eight seconds of courage, and just to go and talk to somebody. Talk to somebody about Jesus. He's worthy. The gospel is essential. May we be a church that is characterized by that essential gospel. Let me pray. Lord, your word says in Colossians 1.6, All around the world, the gospel has been growing and advancing just as it has been in our own lives since we heard the gospel in all of its grace and truth. Lord, your gospel is dynamic because Jesus, you are dynamic. You are the Lord, and you are zealous for your own glory. You are so worthy, and what we want to pray today is that globally and locally, For people who don't know you and for us who do know you here now. That you would continue to transform our lives and transform this world by the power of your gospel. Lord, what a privilege it is that we get to be a part of the expansion of Acts 28.31 in our day and in our time. And Lord, we pray that you would be glorified here in this church. Be glorified. May we speak boldly without hindrance of you today and in in the days to come. We pray in Jesus' name.
0: Amen. Amen. I invite you to stand as we close together.
1: What is our hope in life and death? Christ alone, Christ alone. What is our only confidence? That from grace and goodness known in our graves.
3: don't forget to go uh, say your goodbyes So the Wilkins family are back here in the corner uh, under the shade, a little bit of shade anyway that's left, so, and also please receive the benediction. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be yours today, world without end. Amen. Go in peace.